you have to remember, I have an active shooter shooting out of right. a window, right. right? I don't have time for this. So I made the decision. Um, I ordered two more officers to come over and place this officer in the back of a car. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Well, I want to welcome Maris Harold. Thank you, Maris, for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Maris is the um, police chief of the University of Cincinnati's police department, but she was also, she worked for Cincinnati Police Department for 23 years. So welcome, Maris. Thanks a lot for having me. All right. So dying to know a little bit more about you. Where, okay. where did you grow up? Well, I was born in Los Angeles. Um and uh, my parents decided to move back. Uh, they were both from northern Kentucky, so I moved back when I was about six years old in northern Kentucky. I grew up there, went away to college, and uh, spent some time away at different places, uh, Florida, Atlanta, but I eventually came back to Cincinnati, and I've been here ever since. Did you always know you wanted to be a police officer? No. Um, in fact, uh, um, you know, my mom desperately wanted me to be a pilot. Um, and so right after college, uh, that's what I thought I would be as a pilot. Um, I became a pilot, um, really? but, uh, I really did not like flying. And um, you have a necklace on that's an airplane. Yeah. My mom got me that when I got my pilot's license. Um, but it was really boring to me. Um, you know, once you take off and you do a lot of landings and, you know, you get used to the plane. It's really boring after that. Um, yeah. At least I felt. For I'm kinda, you. I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm an adrenaline junkie. I'm sure if I would have <clears throat> started flying jets or something, it would have. Uh, it would have probably taken off a little bit better. But. So after you got your pilot's license, did you then decide to go into? No. Um, so it's a funny story. So um, I actually became an investigative social worker, um, much to my mother's chagrin. Um, but I was an investigator for. Um, a few years, um, both for the state of Kentucky and Hamilton County. And a lovely woman uh, who I still remember, she was one of the leaders in my life, uh, Colleen Gerwey, um, brought me into the office one day and she said, listen, Maris, you do a really good job with your investigations. You do excellent court presentations. I'm sure you'll have a wonderful career here, but have you ever considered a career in law enforcement? And I said, no, not really, but I will. Well, within a couple months, I find myself sitting in the Cincinnati Police Academy. Oh, my gosh. I go through that. No problems. Um, I come out. Um, and within about four months after getting released from your field training officer, um, I got called into, I'll never forget it, Jack Stahl. And back... Who, who is Jack Stahl? Should I know who Jack... Sorry well, that I you know don't. What? He's a lieutenant. Um, he was a lieutenant in my career, which were considered gods back in the day in the okay. early 90s. But he also had a radio, did radio too. So he had this big booming voice and he called me in and I thought, oh boy, I'm, I'm in trouble because, you know, especially a female cop at the, in those days didn't get called into the lieutenant's office. <clears throat> so he calls me in and he says, uh, Mayor, sit down. And I was like, yes, sir. And he goes you know what, Maris, you do a heck of a job here, and um, we've noticed that you really are interested in helping people and getting p people services. And um, anyway, have you ever thought of a career in social work? Oh, my God. And so I was like, oh, my God. 
Um, and I said, yeah, I thought of a career in social work. I've been a social worker for four years. And he goes, oh. So anyway, I, I decided to uh, hang in there, and I stayed. I stayed with the Cincinnati Police Department for the majority of my career. And it, w- it turned out to be a great career. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, so you, you start in social work, which, by the way, I have a master's in counseling. Okay. I almost went into social work, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough field. It is a tough field. But you know what? There are so many um, skill transferable skills because it's all around communication, mm-hmm. which to me, that's what really law enforcement, a lot not most of it, but a lot of it is about communication, right? Sure is. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, Policing has changed so much. Like you indicated, law enforcement, that's probably a sliver of what policing really is about. Um, You seldom are arresting people or what it looks like on TV. Most of it is um, finding people services, communication, like you said, problem solving. Um, It's becoming more and more technology driven. It's a science now. Um, people understand big data sets. So it's changed dramatically since when I came on. Okay, so what's the biggest difference between working at Cincinnati Police Department and running University of Cincinnati's Police Department? Well, we're still in an urban environment at UC. Um, it's you know much smaller. Um, we're under police reform right now, the reason that I took the position at the University of Cincinnati. So, Can you um, explain police reform? Sure. So, you know... I think back in 2015, we had that unfortunate incident involving uh, Mr. Sam DeBose. Yes. Um, The University of Cincinnati um, did the right thing and agreed to voluntary compliance with an outside monitoring firm, um, and that monitoring firm's Exeger. Um, So we entered entered into an agreement, and uh, they recommended 276 fundamental changes that had to be made to make this uh, police department uh, a, a model uh, in the United States. So that's why I was interested in the, that's my specialty is police reform and problem solving and collaboration. So I took the position to kind of uh, be a part of that because I really believe in that. So you came on full time the beginning of this year, right? Um, 2016. As, as chief police. Yes, yes, absolutely. 20, at the, 2016 is when you started? Right. Okay. And so... Since you've been there, it's really all been about reform, yes. right? Yes. And that, but so that's what got you really excited and jacked about going over there. Yeah, and I've worked. Uh, Dr. Robin Engel, who's my boss, um, and Director Whalen, our careers have kind of paralleled. I've worked with them for most of my career at the city, and so when they took the positions uh, before me there to do this, it was just a natural fit. So when they asked me to apply, I was, I was happy to do that. I read in an article that one of the one of the areas is around training, mm-hmm. right? I'm guessing that's one of the many 200 and whatever reforms, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and so maybe for our listeners, what would be an example of some of the, one of the reforms? Well, training, as I'm sure all the listeners would know, is probably the biggest block of the recommendations. It was a really poorly trained agency. Um, they did not put a lot of uh, budgeting into the training mechanism. Um, so, for examples, um, you know, just legal constitutional training, uh, use of force training, uh, problem solving training, uh, crime science training, uh, tactical training, traffic stop, how to conduct traffic stops. I, I could just go on and on. It just it's overwhelming what this police agency has been doing for the last two years. Um, they've been in a constant training cycle. And some of the things are really innovative, and I think we're 
some of the training we're doing is uh, we're the only ones in the region that are doing this type of training, which I'm really happy about. Yeah, um, probably very proud. Yeah, I'm very, and I'm I'm proud of the officers because they, you know, when I got there, there was low morale. Um, they had been through such a cultural shift, uh, change of leadership. Um, so we're trying to stabilize the morale, um, and you know they've they've done everything that I've expected them to do. So it's been a really good experience at UC for me. So one of my previous careers, I feel like we are somewhat parallel paths, but not <laughs> <Okay>. really. <laughs> but I worked for juvenile court. Oh, really? So I, yeah, I worked okay. for the detention facility. Okay. You know, on 2020. Yeah. 2020. Yes, yes. Yeah. Back wow. in the early 2000s. Okay. Right, right out of getting my master's in counseling. Okay. And um, I worked for some great leaders there. Okay. And one of my manager the superintendent bob dugan who was amazing yeah. remember bob yeah sure do he there were um three successful suicides in the building in the 80s and uh. he vowed to never have that happen on his watch again and so um training was huge for them and then this suicide prevention program which was huge so they hired people with master's degrees like a me there were three of us so we would monitor all the kids that came in to we would manage but we would also assess whether they were suicidal or not and then it really became more of how do we manage their mental health care because the numbers were just going up with youth that had Mm -hmm. mental health issues um but he ran a very tight ship and i know why he did that and it was because of the pain and suffering that and the responsibility he felt from those three children who died and he vowed to make a difference and we never had one again i I don't think they've had one since i don't remember one oh that's interesting i didn't know you did that kind of work yeah i loved it um i got a little burnt out and so i moved more into the training field that's Mm -hmm. what kind of got he he was the one that said to me you know i think you should you should um apply for this training manager position. He said, you're, you're training you know, the staff on psychology 101 things, and I think you'd be good at it. And it was one of those examples where somebody sees something in you that you don't see in yourself, and it reframes it for you, and you're like, maybe I can do this. Yeah. But it was, yeah, because yeah. of Bob Dugan. Bob Dugan, yeah. Um, I do remember Bob. And uh, I remember the shift over up there when they started hiring college-educated people and uh, people that came from social work backgrounds, counseling backgrounds. So that's a good decision. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. So for you, what would be your example, Um, whether it was at Cincinnati Police, whether it's your current role with UC's police department, that was maybe a really big, I'm using the word failure, but maybe it wasn't a failure from you, but something big that really happened that that, um, was a change agent. Hmm. Um, you know, so I joined the Cincinnati Police Department in 1993, and um, I really struggled, um, obviously coming from a female-dominated, female-led agency um, in social work. In social work, yeah, right. Yeah, it's just majority women. Right. It's changing a little bit, but I would still... There were a couple men, yeah, a but couple not men. a ton. Um, and usually those men would join the police department. That was the trend. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's interesting. Yeah. That could be another conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just a culture shock for me joining the police department uh, all the way around. Um, the You know, the values seem to be different. Like um, how? 
You know, I, I think I just started realizing pretty quickly that, you know, it's not – you think that when you join the police department, it's bad guys. you got to put bad guys in jail. And I think I quickly realized that it was so much more complex than that. And, uh, you know, I think my background um, kind of separated me from the policing culture too because, you know, I realized that some of these issues are so complicated – and then when you start reading about crime science, you realize that, you know, it's a very few people committing these horrible crimes, mm -hmm. right? And it just set me on a different journey um, than the majority of the police officers at the time. Do you think it's um, an empathy thing? And then I want to talk about how do you manage empathy, but to the point where you don't have so much empathy that you cannot execute, execute. on. Yeah. Um, or follow a rule or the law or whatever it might be. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I still struggle with all these issues. I still think about policing, I think, totally different than a lot of people in policing. Mm -hmm. um, but having said that, you know, just like you said, at any given t point, you have to be that person that is going to execute, you know, sometimes deadly force, you know, force. So it takes a unique set of skills to be a, to be a good police officer. And I still don't know if we understand that as a society, that um, this is a hard job. And um, to do it right, to do it with compassion, um, is extremely difficult. It's hard to hire people with that unique skill set. And uh, so I still struggle with all these issues. I still think about them all the time. I have conversations with people across the country. Um, what do you think is the number one skill set that somebody needs to have to be a successful police person I think it's a uh, problem-solving skills mm -hmm. um, and I think a good heart because you mentioned compassion yeah because first I started with empathy and then you said compassion and I was like oh that's that's what it is more right I guess you know I guess uh, empathy and compassion um, but I think, I don't know, Sarah, you've been in counseling. Like, if you understand some of the underlying issues um, in some of these areas that are plagued by, you know, chronic violence, you know, you have to look at things differently if you understand those issues. And um, uh, But just to go back, right. you know, yeah, policing, I'll say this, has changed dramatically since I came on in the city. These younger officers are much more... Uh, willing to problem solve, and they're much more accepting um, of different people, different cultures. Um, yeah, so, you know, when I came on, there was still a lot of um, feeling that women should not be on the police department. And this is 1993, and that was a shock to me. Right. Um, my dad was a, a feminist, and so when I joined, it was like, it was really strange. You know, I had this... Do you mind sharing one of those stories? Yeah, so a couple things that it was just a shock to me. Um, I was driving one night with a, a substitute field training officer, somebody that I didn't ride with all the time. Okay. And um, we stopped at White Castle on uh, Central Parkway to get a cup of coffee. This was like at 3 o'clock in the morning. And he looked over at me and he said, you know, I really don't think women should do this job. And it was, it was a shock. And I was like, this is like 1993. And I said, I can't believe you think like that. And he goes, well, it was up to me. I would, I would get rid of all the women. And I was just like, wow, that is so bold. And uh, 
So how do you even go and work with that, especially when you have to trust your partner? Well, th there was a lot of trust issues, um, and for a lot of women. Uh, you know, there was women before me that really struggled uh, with some of these issues. Um, I mitigated a lot. I was, you know, I was an active officer, so eventually you you could kind of gain the respect of people. But it was it was challenging. It was hard. It was challenging. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't. You're right. You wouldn't think in 1993. Right. Do you feel like it's shifted? Yeah, it's shifted. Um, when do you think it's shifted? I think for the the city itself, at least in my perspective, everybody has their own unique perspective. But I think after the civil unrest. Um, so I was working at Hamilton County Juvenile Detention then. Right. And I remember um, the curfews. Yeah. And there were certain ways that I would drive home, but I would that week and the next two weeks, I did not drive home those ways. Yeah, those were hard times. Um, I was a sergeant in District 1 during the civil unrest. Oh, um, wow. Which, for listeners, why don't you explain where District yeah, 1 is? Yeah, District 1 is on uh, Ezra Charles and Central Parkway. It's uh, right in the heart of downtown, just on the west side of downtown. Um, and maybe define, because we have listeners that aren't just in Cincinnati, okay. so, so define what that area was like then. Well, so... Uh, it's more lower income. It's Yeah, it was lower income, uh, mixed housing. Uh, it was, you know, over the Rhine was the next neighborhood over, and to the south of that was the downtown business district. And most of the civil unrest was in the over the Rhine neighborhood, which, you know, at the time, over the Rhine just started coming back. They were doing a lot of revitalization at the time. And I think the, uh, you know, the, the civil unrest really uh, did a number on the revitalization efforts. And it really impacted Cincinnati horribly. I mean, for another decade, right, we would not recover from that. Right. And I think that city leaders, most certainly one of my mentors, Chief Tom Stryker, um, I think everything changed. Um, the way we thought about policing, the way we responded to the community, uh, the anger that I saw um, from people in the community. And it, the anger and the force? Yeah, I mean, it just became really polarized. But I think that out of that... Um, when you say polarized, was it polarizing race-wise? I think so. I, I think, at least in my eyes, it was really hard for the police to um, understand um, the anger but now, you know, after we went through that process with the collaborative, I think it was the best thing that ever happened to the police department because people started seeing each other's points, you know? Yes. You had a very angry black community. Um, and now you understand why. Like right. the, the type of policing we were doing at the time um, is just, we, it's just not acceptable. Um, you know, the zero tolerance and the sweeps that we were doing. And we all thought we were doing the right thing to, you know, lower the crime rate. Um, but now it just seems like the worst, worst idea, worst policing ideas. Um, but it was a hard time. It was a really hard time. So I don't want to spend a lot of time in the Ray Tenzing, yeah. Sam DeBose stuff. But yeah. I do want to ask, there were lessons learned from the from the riots in the mm -hmm. 90s, mm -hmm. what was the biggest learning lesson that you personally got? Because I know you can't talk f for anybody else but you, but what was the biggest learning lesson you got from that? It's all about the strategy. Um, say more. Again, you know, I am passionate 
about policing strategies. They can either harm communities or they can really work in partnership with communities. And I think anytime your strategy is not directed and focused and you're using data and you're using community collaboration, you're going to run afoul every time. And I think... Um, can you give an example? I don't totally get that. Yeah, so um, if your strategy is uh, zero tolerance and traffic stops as okay. your mechanism to reduce crime, um, you're going you're gonna to run into a situation that we had at UC. Um, and that was a strategy. Yeah, you know that that was a, a strategy, and that, you know, if there's one thing I've learned in policing is that uh, your strategy better be based on data. You better be able to tell the community what you're doing and why, and you better understand there's very few people that are committing violence, and there's repeat places that are causing most of this problems. Um, and if you don't understand that, you shouldn't be in policing in today's world. You just should not be. And unfortunately, you know, um, you know, lessons weren't learned after Cincinnati. And uh, so I'm passionate about picking the right policing strategy. Um, it's so important. What would be an example of one today? A policing strategy? Mm-hmm. Um, At UC. Yeah. So if you, we, I'm really proud. You see, we hired a really talented crime analyst. So they will look at, you know, patterns of crimes, places, and we'll pick a place. Um, let's say the library at UC. Okay. Um, we have a lot of theft of cell phones and book bags. And um, we just decided we're not going to arrest our way out of this, right? So a lot of times it's just about looking at the environment, seeing why these things happen, um, make smart choices, work with the, you know, the staff at the library, put some educational tools out. Um, and we dropped, uh, you know, uh, theft at the library over a year's uh, time by, I want to say, over 50%. Wow. So no arrest strategy, prevention, working with the community, working with the library staff, um, changing the environment. Um, and that, and that works. Changing the environment. What does that mean? Yeah, so it, the way they had these stations set up where the kids would come in and put their uh, book bags down or their cell phones, people could come in from the outside, <gasps> gotcha, gotcha. grab them, and take it's off. Easy. And easy. So you just change the environment. And, uh, you know, the thing about policing that is exciting is that we know the crime's not random. You know, we have enough data that we can look at to know that it's not random. It's very concentrated. Similar type crimes concentrate. Um, if we know all this, we should really probably be in a prevention mode 80% of the time. Okay. And that's where, um, that's where I'd like policing to go, is that you're more in a preventative instead of a reactive. Even n not just university, universities, but oh. you're talking policing in general. Policing across the country. It, we just know too much about crime, you know. 60 years ago, we didn't have these huge data sets to look at. We do now. You know, in the city of Cincinnati, if you look at violent crime, um, it's really very small little uh, clusters that are usually a block, block and a half, and the rest of the neighborhoods have no crime. And if you look at this just visually on yeah, a map, yeah. you have to start wondering about policing and why we're still in this reactive mode, that we're just reacting to things. It's um, So who else other than you are mm -hmm. the change agents around this? 
Oh my gosh, there's a there's a ton of people doing great work across the country um, and internationally. Um, so this just isn't me. This is crime scientists' work and um, other police chiefs across the country. Um, it's just I wish I wish we would move a little bit more into the science of crime. Okay. Yeah. Were you always a data? <laughs> no. 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 I was a no. I I'm an adrenaline adrenaline junkie. That's why I, you know for. <laughs> You know, I like to drive fast cars and, you know, fly planes. <laughs> and being and, a pilot. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, no, to slow everything down um, is counterintuitive to me, my personality. Um, I was an athlete. Um, so, no, to sit back and kind of look at things and try to figure them out, no, that's not my, that's not my personality. But it's the right thing to do. So what are you most excited about? What's the next thing that you're focusing on? So we've just, uh, we're finishing up with a big recruitment drive at UC. We're going to be hiring about 10 cops, um, which is awesome. And um, hopefully we'll be a little bit more inclusive than we have been in the past um, with our hiring. Um, we just put out a, you know, really cool recruiting video. Um, it's online. It's a YouTube video. I hope people watch it because it really shows the, the cool things that we're doing at UC. And I'm hoping by the end of this year, we are finished with the Exeger recommendations and we'll be finished with our um, monitorship and we'll move on to the next phase of um, what I want to do there at UC. So um, it's a good time and everything's going well, knock on wood. So I'm really happy. Well, that's a testament to you. Uh, well, thank you very much. But it's a lot of good people. So Maris, tell me, um, especially with college students, obviously there's some mental health issues that can occur and substance abuse issues. How do police officers play a role in that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, something that I think about a lot. Um, so I want everybody to know that our officers receive 40 hours of certification training and crisis intervention, which is a great thing. Um, we also work really close partnership with our mental health services um, on campus, and uh, they do a wonderful job. So we're, we communicate, um, and we try to be, um, you know, as tight as possible on these issues. Um, unfortunately, there is a lot of substance abuse, and there's a lot of mental health issues. Um, so... I think we have to be very in tune with that. So I, you know, I will definitely keep up with the training, um, cutting edge training. We try to partner with as many people in the field as possible. You know, at the city, um, we had trained uh, PES staff from University Hospital assigned to two of our districts. PES. Psychiatric Emergency Services, sorry. And uh, that was really a great benefit for the police. So we would have people that could respond out with us on mental health calls. Um, so I kind of miss that, but we do work in partnership with the mental health services on campus. Have you seen an, an uptick in it? Or I should say, is there data to support an uptick in it? I don't think there's an uptick. It's just we do keep track. Part of our reform efforts is to keep track of how we're responding to mental health calls. Okay. Um, so we do keep you know, a constant eye on this. We look for trends and patterns that uh, may be problematic and we can improve upon. So we provide all of that data to our monitors. Um, and then my boss, Dr. Robin Engel, um, she, of course, has to see this every month. So we do we do keep really tight data on all of that. Okay. So it gives me an idea if we do have 
increased or decreased or where we're going to the most. Um, so, yeah, we have a really good idea. Okay. And I, I wouldn't say that we're in an uptick right now. Okay. So final question. Yeah, sure. What would be one thing that you think would be a great story to share of um, so either a failure or something that humbled you so much that brought about some gifts or great learnings? You know, the story I, I tell um, goes back to when I first got promoted to sergeant, so 96 approximately. And um, I was the only supervisor working in District 1, which is um, downtown over the Rhine. It's about six neighborhoods. And it was early in the morning. Um, and we received a call of shots fired on Mulberry Street, which is it over the Rhine. And I responded, and there was a, an active shooter situation occurring. And this young man was shooting semi-automatic weapons out of the third floor window onto Mulberry Street. And I responded to the scene, and um, I got out of my vehicle, and you go through these seven critical tasks that you have to complete to stabilize the scene. Okay. So as I start doing this, I start, you know, telling people what they needed to do. I had one officer um, come up to me and he said, I'm not listening to a thing you say. I'm taking this scene over. And Was he a subordinate? He was a subordinate. And I remember thinking, this is a make or break situation in your career, Maris. You're either going to take hold of this or you're going to fail and you're never going to recover from this. Now, you have to remember, I have an active shooter shooting out of right. a window, right. right? I don't have time for this. So I made the decision. Um, I ordered two more officers to come over and place this officer in the back of a car. And um, I proceeded with my seven critical tasks to stabilize this situation. This shooter ended up shooting a pastor that was coming out of his church. Um, and so we had to make an emergency uh, evacuation of this uh, pastor during the active shooter situation. Um, and then, you know, we finally started getting SWAT resources into, into the area and we further stabilized it. But I remember thinking, like, and I had to make a decision quick because this officer was um, very well respected. He was a tactical officer. Um, but looking back on that situation, that could have that could have destroyed my whole career. career. And um, I decided at that point, um, you know, I have to do this. I'm the person in charge. And I know I, how to do it. I know how to do it. Um, and I did it. And uh, but I still think back about that. And, you know, he was a, he was a big guy. Uh, but it's interesting. Thankfully, I had uh, the support of the other guys, and and that was a hard that was a hard hard thing, uh, but that's that that still that incident that night during that critical incident gave me um, the confidence to continue on what I was doing. That was a crucible moment. Yeah, that was a uh, that was big. What happened with him afterwards? Um, he was disciplined, and uh, we moved on. Uh, Did you really move on? You have to. You know, you have to move on. And um, I'm hoping he 
thought about it just as long as I thought about it, and I hope that he thinks differently. Um, uh, you know, I don't hold any I don't hold any grudges, uh, but it was just a terrible thing to do in the middle of a really bad situation. Yeah, but I think it. Did he ever apologize? No. 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 That's okay. It, you know, it solidified a lot of things for me that night. And uh, one, I could do the job. And uh, and two, I knew at that time I, I wanted to make more changes. I wanted to do better things. And uh, so that was, it was good for me. That's a great story. Oh, thanks. Thank you for sharing All true. That. All true. That's a good one. Can thanks. I get any more? Do one more? We don't have to leave this in if you don't. <laughs> but, I mean... Any others like that? Uh, a whole career of them, but uh, we'll have to save it for another show. Oh, maybe. that's good, Maris. Leaving us <laughs> hanging. <laughs> that's perfect. Okay. Well, thank you for your time, especially on your weekend when it's your day off. Oh, no worries. You've never met me before, and you came in and did this for a common friend. Uh, and I know the listeners are, listeners are going to love it, so thank well, you. My pleasure, Sarah. It was really nice meeting you. You too. All right. Thanks, Maris. All right. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, Anna Bolke, our producer, and the incredible team at Gwyn Sound. If you liked this episode, please, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and write a review. 